The stars which have least circuit are nearest the pole, and men that are least perplexed with business are commonly nearest to God. Device 8. By working them to rest in their performances, to rest in prayer, and to rest in hearing, reading, and the communion of saints. And when Satan hath drawn the soul to rest upon the service done, then he will help the soul to reason thus. Why, thou wert as good never pray, as to pray and rest in prayer. As good never hear, as to hear and rest in hearing. As good never be in the communion of saints, as to rest in the communion of saints. And by this device he stops many souls in their heavenly race, and takes off poor souls from those services that should be their joy and crown. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is to dwell much upon the imperfection and weaknesses that do attend your choicest services. Oh, the spots, the blots, the blemishes that are to be seen on the face of our fairest duties. Footnote Pride and high confidence is most apt to creep in upon duties well done saith one. End of footnote. When thou hast done all thou canst, thou hast need to close up all with this. O enter not into judgment with thy servant, O Lord. Psalm 143.2 For the weaknesses that cleave to my best services. We may all say with the church, all our righteousnesses are as a minstrel's cloth. Isaiah 64.6 If God should be strict to mark what is done amiss in our best actions, we are undone. Oh, the water that is mingled with our wine, the dross that cleaves unto our gold. Remedy 2 The second remedy against this device of Satan is to consider the impotence and inability of any of your best services divinely to comfort, refresh, and bear your souls up from fainting and sinking in the days of trouble, when darkness is round about you, when God shall say to you, as he did once to the Israelites, Go and cry unto the gods that you have chosen. Let them save you in the time of your tribulation. Judges 10.14 So when God shall say in the day of your troubles, Go to your prayers, to your hearing, and to your fasting, and see if they can help you, if they can support you, if they can deliver you. If God in that day doth but withhold the influence of his grace, thy former services will be but poor cordials to comfort thee. And then thou must and will cry out, Oh, none but Christ, none but Christ. Oh, my prayers are not Christ. My hearing is not Christ. My fasting is not Christ. Oh, one smile of Christ, one glimpse of Christ, one good word from Christ, one nod of love from Christ in the day of trouble and darkness will more revive and refresh the soul than all your former services in which your souls rested as if they were the bosom of Christ, which should be the only center of our souls. Christ is the crown of crowns, the glory of glories, and the heaven of heavens. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that good things rested upon will as certainly undo us and everlastingly destroy us as the greatest enormities that can be committed by us. Those souls that after they have done all do not look up so high as Christ and rest and center alone in Christ laying down their services at the footstool of Christ must lie down in sorrow. Their bread is prepared for them in hell. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire compass yourselves with the sparks 
and walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks ye have kindled. This shall ye have at mine hands, ye shall lie down in sorrow. Isaiah 50 verse 11 Is it good to dwell with everlasting burnings, with a devouring fire? If it be, why then rest in your duty still? If otherwise, then see that you center only in the bosom of Christ. Remedy 4 The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is to dwell much upon the necessity and excellency of that resting place that God hath provided for you. Above all other resting places, himself is your resting place. His free mercy and love is your resting place. The pure, glorious, matchless, and spotless righteousness of Christ is your resting place. Ah, it is sad to think that most men have forgotten their resting place, as the Lord complains. My people have been as lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray and have turned them away to the mountains. They are gone from mountain to hill and forgotten their resting place. Jeremiah 50 verse 6 So poor souls that see not the excellency of that resting place that God hath appointed for their souls to lie down in, they wander from mountain to hill, from one duty to another, and here they will rest and there they will rest. But souls that see the excellency of that resting place that God hath provided for them, they will say, Farewell prayer, farewell hearing, farewell fasting. I will rest no more in you, but now I will rest only in the bosom of Christ, the love of Christ, and the righteousness of Christ. Part 4, page 142 Satan's devices to keep saints in a sad, doubting, questioning, and uncomfortable condition. The third thing to be showed is the several devices that Satan hath to keep souls in a sad, doubting, questioning, and uncomfortable condition. Though he can never rob a believer of his crown, yet such is his malice and envy that he will leave no stone unturned, no means unattempted, to rob them of their comfort and peace, to make their life a burden and a hell unto them, to cause them to spend their days in sorrow and mourning, in sighing and complaining, in doubting and questioning. Surely we have no interest in Christ. Our graces are not true. Our hopes are the hopes of hypocrites. Our confidence is our presumption. Our enjoyments are our delusions. Footnote Blessed John Bradford, the martyr, in one of his epistles, saith thus, O Lord, sometime methinks I feel it so with me as if there were no difference between my heart and the wicked. I have a blind mind, as they, a stout, stubborn, rebellious, hard heart, as they. And so he goes on. End of footnote. I shall show you this in some particulars. Device 1. The first device that Satan hath to keep souls in a sad, doubting, and questioning condition, and so making their life a hell, is by causing them to be still pouring and musing upon sin, to mind their sins more than their Savior, yea, so to mind their sins, as to forget, yea, to neglect their Savior. That as the psalmist speaks, the Lord is not in all their thoughts. Psalm 10 verse 4 Their eyes are so fixed upon their disease that they cannot see the remedy, though it be near. And they do so muse upon their debts that they have neither mind nor heart to think of their surety. Footnote A Christian should wear Christ in his bosom as a flower of delight for he is a whole paradise of delight. He that minds not Christ more than his sin 
can never be thankful and fruitful as he should. End of footnote. Remedy 1 The first remedy is for weak believers to consider that though Jesus Christ hath not freed them from the presence of sin, yet he hath freed them from the damnatory power of sin. It is most true that sin and grace were never born together, neither shall sin and grace die together. Yet while a believer breathes in this world, they must live together, they must keep house together. Christ in this life will not free any believer from the presence of any one sin, though he doth free every believer from the damning power of sin. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Romans 8.11 The law cannot condemn a believer, for Christ hath fulfilled it for him. Divine justice cannot condemn him, for that Christ hath satisfied. His sins cannot condemn him, for they in the blood of Christ are pardoned, and his unconscience upon righteous grounds cannot condemn him, because Christ, that is greater than his conscience, hath acquitted him. Footnote My sins hurt me not, if they like me not. Sin is like that wild fig tree, or ivy in the wall. Cut off stump, body, bough, and branches, yet some strings or other will sprout out again, till the wall be plucked down. End of footnote. Remedy 2 The second remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that though Jesus Christ hath not freed you from the molesting and vexing power of sin, yet he hath freed you from the reign and dominion of sin. Thou sayest that sin doth so molest and vex thee that thou canst not think of God, nor go to God, nor speak with God. Footnote The primitive Christians chose rather to be thrown to lions without than left to lust within. End of footnote. Oh, but remember, it is one thing for sin to molest and vex thee, and another thing for sin to reign and have dominion over thee. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6.14 Sin may rebel, but it shall never reign in a saint. It fareth with sin in the regenerate, as with those beasts that Daniel speaks of, that had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Daniel 7, verse 12 Now sin reigns in the soul when the soul willingly and readily obeys it and submits to its commands as subjects do actively obey and embrace the commands of their prince. The commands of a king are readily embraced and obeyed by his subjects, but the commands of a tyrant are embraced and obeyed unwillingly. All the service that is done to a tyrant is out of violence and not out of obedience. A free and willing subjection to the commands of sin speaks out the soul to be under the reign and dominion of sin. But from this plague, this hell, Christ frees all believers. Footnote It is a sign that sin hath not gained your consent but committed a rape upon your souls when you cry out to God. If the ravished virgin under the law cried out, she was guiltless. Deuteronomy 22.27 So when sin plays the tyrant over the soul, and the soul cries out, it is guiltless. Those sins shall not be charged upon the soul. End of footnote. Sin cannot say of a believer, as the centurion did of his servants, I bid one go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to another do this, and he doeth it. Matthew 8, 9 
No, the heart of a saint riseth against the commands of sin. And when sin would carry his soul to the devil, he hails his sin before the Lord and cries out for justice. Lord, saith the believing soul, sin plays the tyrant, the devil in me. It would have me to do that which makes against thy holiness as well as against my happiness, against thy honor and glory as my comfort and peace. Therefore do me justice, thou righteous judge of heaven and earth, and let this tyrant sin die for it. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is constantly to keep one eye upon the promises of remission of sin as well as the other eye upon the inward operations of sin. This is the most certain truth that God would graciously pardon those sins to his people that he will not in this life fully subdue in his people. Paul prays thrice to be delivered from the thorn in the flesh. All he can get is, My grace is sufficient for thee. 2 Corinthians 12.9 I will graciously pardon that to thee, that I will not conquer in thee, saith God. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me, and whereby they have transgressed against me. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Footnote the promises of God are a precious book. Every leaf drops myrrh and mercy. Though the weak Christian cannot open, read, and apply them, Christ can and will apply them to their souls. I, I am he, blotting out thy transgressions today and tomorrow. The Hebrew denotes a continued act of God. End of footnote. Ah, you lamenting souls that spend your days in sighing and groaning under the sense and burden of your sins, why do you deal so unkindly with God and so injuriously with your own souls as not to cast an eye upon those precious promises of remission of sin which may bear up and refresh your spirits in the darkest night and under the heaviest burden of sin? Remedy 4 The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is to look upon all your sins as charged upon the account of Christ as debts which the Lord Jesus hath fully satisfied and indeed were there but one farthing of that debt unpaid that Christ was engaged to satisfy it would not have stood with the unspotted justice of God to let him come into heaven and sit down at his own right hand but all our debts by his death being discharged we are freed and he is exalted to sit down at the right hand of his Father, which is the top of his glory, and the greatest pledge of our felicity. For he hath made him to be sin for us, that knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, said the Apostle. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21 All our sins were made to meet upon Christ, as that evangelical prophet hath it. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or as the Hebrew hath it, he hath made the iniquity of us all to meet in him. Isaiah 53 verse 6 In law, we know that all the debts of the wife are charged upon the husband. Saith the wife to one and to another, If I owe you anything, go to my husband. 
so may a believer say to the law and to the justice of God, If I owe you anything, go to my Christ, who hath undertaken for me. I must not sit down discouraged under the apprehension of those debts that Christ, to the utmost farthing, hath fully satisfied. Would it not argue much weakness, I had almost said much madness, for a debtor to sit down discouraged upon his looking over those debts that his surety hath readily, freely, and fully satisfied? The sense of his great love should engage a man forever to love and honor his surety, and to bless that hand that hath paid the debt and crossed the books. But to sit down discouraged when the debt is satisfied is a sin that bespeaks repentance. Footnote Christ hath the greatest worth and wealth in him, as the worth and value of many pieces of silver is in one piece of gold. So all the excellencies scattered abroad in the creatures are united in Christ. All the whole volume of perfections which are spread through heaven and earth are epitomized in him. Christ hath cleared all reckoning between God and us. You remember the scapegoat. Upon his head all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins were confessed and put. And the goat did bear upon him all their iniquities. Leviticus 16.21 Why, the Lord Jesus is that blessed scapegoat upon whom all our sins are laid and who alone hath carried our sins away into the land of forgetfulness where they shall be never remembered any more. Footnote Christ is the channel of grace from God. End of footnote A believer under the guilt of his sin may look the Lord in the face and sweetly plead thus with him. It is true, Lord, I owed thee much, but thy son was my ransom, my redemption. His blood was the price. He was my surety and undertook to answer for my sins. I know thou must be satisfied, and Christ hath satisfied thee to the utmost farthing. Not for himself, for what sins had he of his own? But for me, they were my debts that he satisfied for. Be pleased to look over the book, and thou shalt find that it is crossed by thy own hand upon this very account that Christ hath suffered and satisfied for them. Footnote The blood of Abel, for so the Hebrew hath it, as if the blood of one Abel had so many tongues as drops, cried for vengeance against sin. But the blood of Christ cries louder for the pardon of sin. End of footnote Remedy 5 the fifth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider of the reasons why the Lord is pleased to have his people exercised, troubled, and vexed with the operations of sinful corruptions. And they are these. Partly to keep them humble and low in their own eyes. Footnote. Augustine saith that the first, second, and third virtue of a Christian is humility and partly to put them upon the use of all divine helps, whereby sin may be subdued and mortified, and partly that they may live upon Christ for the perfecting the work of sanctification, and partly to wean them from things below, and to make them heart-sick of their absence from Christ, and to maintain in them bowels of compassion towards others that are subject to the same infirmities with them, and that they may distinguish between a state of grace and a state of glory and that heaven may be more sweet to them in the close. 
Now doth the Lord upon these weighty reasons suffer his people to be exercised and molested with the operations of sinful corruptions. O then, let no believer speak, write, or conclude bitter things against his own soul and comforts, because that sin troubles and vexes his righteous soul. But lay his hand upon his mouth and be silent, because the Lord will have it so, upon such weighty grounds as the soul is not able to withstand. Footnote We therefore learn that we may teach, is a proverb among the rabbins. After the Trojans had been wandering and tossing up and down the Mediterranean Sea, as soon as they espied Italy, they cried out with exulting joy, Italy, Italy! So will saints when they come to heaven. End of footnote. Remedy 6 The sixth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that believers must repent for their being discouraged by their sins. Their being discouraged by their sins will cost them many a prayer, many a tear, and many a groan, and that because their discouragements under sin flow from ignorance and unbelief. It springs from their ignorance of the richness, freeness, fullness, and everlastingness of God's love, and from their ignorance of the power, glory, sufficiency, and efficacy of the death and sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and from their ignorance of the worth, glory, fullness, largeness and completeness of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and from their ignorance of that real, close, spiritual, glorious and inseparable union that is between Christ and their precious souls. Ah, did precious souls know and believe the truth of these things as they should, they would not sit down dejected and overwhelmed under the sense and operation of sin. Footnote God never gave a believer a new heart that it should always lie a-bleeding and that it should always be rent and torn in pieces with discouragement. End of footnote. Device 2 By working them to make false definitions of their graces. Satan knows that as false definitions of sin wrong the soul one way, so false definitions of grace wrong the soul another way. I will instance only in faith. Oh, how doth Satan labor with might and main to work men to make false definitions of faith. Some he works to define faith too high, as that it is a full assurance of the love of God to a man's soul in particular, or a full persuasion of the pardon and remission of a man's own sins in particular. Sayeth Satan, What dost thou talk of faith? Faith is an assurance of the love of God and of the pardon of sin. And this thou hast not. Thou knowest thou art far from off from this. Therefore thou hast no faith. And by drawing men to make such a false definition of faith, he keeps them in a sad, doubting, and questioning condition, and makes them spend their days in sorrow and sighing, so that tears are their drink and sorrow is their meat, and sighing is their work all the day long. The philosophers say there are eight degrees of heat we discern three. Now if a man should define heat only by the highest degree, then all other degrees will be cast out from being heat. So if men shall define faith only by the highest degrees, by assurance of the love of God and of the pardon of his sins in particular, what will become of lesser degrees of faith? If a man should define a man to be a living man only by the highest and strongest demonstrations of life, as laughing, leaping, running, working, and walking, 
would not many thousands that groan under internal and external weaknesses that cannot laugh, nor leap, nor run, nor work, nor walk, be found dead men by such a definition that yet we know to be alive. It is so here, and you know how to apply it. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that there may be true faith, yea, great measures of faith, where there is no assurance. The Canaanite woman in the gospel had strong faith, yet no assurance that we read of. These things have I written unto you, saith John, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. 1 John 5.14 In these words you see that they did believe, and had eternal life, in respect of the purpose and promise of God. And in respect of the seeds and beginnings of it in their souls, and in respect of Christ their head, who sits in heaven as a public person, representing all his chosen ones, who hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.6 And yet they did not know that they had eternal life. It is one thing to have a right to heaven, and another thing to know it. It is one thing to be beloved, and another thing for a man to know that he is beloved. It is one thing for God to write a man's name in the book of life, and another thing for God to tell a man that his name is written in the book of life, and to say to him, Luke 10.20, Rejoice, because thy name is written in heaven. So Paul, in whom ye also trusted, after ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1.13 So Micah, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I shall fall, I shall rise. When I shall sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned, or the said countenance of God, as the Hebrew hath it. Micah 7, verses 8 and 9 This soul had no assurance, for he sits in darkness, and was under the sad countenance of God. Yet he had strong faith, as appears in those words, When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. And let this suffice for the first answer. Footnote So those in Isaiah 50 verse 10 had faith, though they had no assurance. End of footnote Remedy 2 the second remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that God in the scripture doth define faith otherwise. God defines faith to be a receiving of Christ. As many as received him, to them he gave this privilege to be the sons of God. John 1.12 To as many as believed on his name, to be a cleaving of the soul unto God, though no joy but afflictions attend the soul. Acts 11.23 Yea, the Lord defines faith to be a coming to God in Christ, and often to a resting and staying, rolling of the soul upon God. It is safest and sweetest to define as God defines, both vices and graces. This is the only way to settle the soul, to secure it against the wiles of men and devils, who labor, by false definitions of grace, to keep precious souls in a doubting, staggering, and languishing condition, 
and so to make their lives a burden, a hell unto them. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider this, that there may be true faith where there is much doubting. Witness those frequent sayings of Christ to his disciples. Why are ye afraid, O ye of little faith? Persons may be truly believing who nevertheless are sometimes doubting. In the same persons that the forementioned scriptures speak of, you may see their faith commended and their doubts condemned, which doth necessarily suppose a presence of both. Remedy 4 The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that assurance is an effect of faith, therefore it cannot be faith. The cause cannot be the effect, nor the root, the fruit. As the effect flows from the cause, the fruit from the root, the stream from the fountain, so doth assurance flow from faith. This truth I shall make good thus. The assurance of our salvation and pardon of sin doth primarily arise from the witness of the Spirit of God that we are the children of God, Ephesians 1.13, and the Spirit never witnesseth this till we are believers. For we are sons by faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 4.6. Therefore assurance is not faith, but follows it as the effect follows the cause. Again, no man can be assured and persuaded of his salvation till he be united to Christ, till he be engrafted into Christ. And a man cannot be engrafted into Christ till he hath faith. He must first be engrafted into Christ by faith before he can have assurance of his salvation, which doth clearly evidence that assurance is not faith, but an effect and fruit of faith. Again, faith cannot be lost but assurance may. Therefore, assurance is not faith. Though assurance be a precious flower in the garden of a saint and is more infinitely sweet and delightful to the soul than all outward comforts and contents, yet it is but a flower that is subject to fade and to lose its freshness and beauty as saints by sad experience find. Again, a man must first have faith before he can have assurance. Therefore, assurance is not faith and that a man must first have faith before he can have assurance is clear by this a man must first be saved before he can be assured of his salvation for he cannot be assured of that which is not and a man must first have a saving faith before he can be saved by faith for he cannot be saved by that which he hath not therefore a man must first have faith before he can have assurance and so it roundly follows that assurance is not faith footnote there are many thousand precious souls of whom this world is not worthy that have the faith of reliance and yet lack assurance and the effects of it as high joy glorious peace and vehement longings after the coming of Christ end of footnote device 3 by working the soul to make false inferences from the cross actings of providence saith Satan Dost thou not see how providence crosses thy prayers and crosses thy desires, thy tears, thy hopes, thy endeavors? Surely, if his love were towards thee, if his soul did delight and take pleasure in thee, he would not deal thus with thee. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider 
that many things may be crossed to our desires that are not crossed to our good. Abraham, Jacob, David, Job, Moses, Jeremiah, Jonah, and Paul met with many things that were contrary to their desires and endeavors that were not contrary to their good. As all know that have wisely compared their desires and endeavors and God's actings together. Physic often works contrary to the patient's desires when it does not work contrary to their good. I remember a story of a godly man who had a great desire to go to France and as he was going to take shipping he broke his leg and it pleased Providence so to order it that the ship that he should have gone in at that very same time was cast away and not a man saved and so by breaking a bone his life was saved. Though Providence did work cross to his desire yet it did not work cross to his good. Footnote The Circumcellians being not able to withstand the preaching and writing of Augustine sought his destruction having beset the way he was to go to his visitation but by God's providence he missing his way escaped the danger. End of footnote Remedy 2 The second remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that the hand of God may be against a man when the love and heart of God is much set upon a man. No man can conclude how the heart of God stands by his hand. The hand of God was against Ephraim and yet his love, his heart was dearly set upon Ephraim. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised, as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was returned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I speak against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 31, verses 18 through 20. Footnote. God's providential hand may be with persons when his heart is set against them. God's providential hand was for a time with Saul, Haman, Asher, and Jehu, and yet his heart was set against him. No man knoweth love or hatred by all that is before him. Ecclesiastes 9 verses 1 and 2 End of footnote God can look sourly and shine bitterly and strike heavily even where and when he loves dearly. The hand of God was very much against Job and yet his love, his heart was very much set upon Job as you may see by comparing chapters 1 and 2 with 41 and 42. The hand of God was sore against David and Jonah when his heart was much set upon them. He that shall conclude that the heart of God is against those that his hand is against will condemn the generation of the just whom God unjustly would not have condemned. Remedy 3 The third remedy against this device of Satan is to consider that all the cross providences that befall the saints are but in order to some noble good that God doth intend to prefer upon them. Providence wrought cross to David's desire in taking away the child sinfully begotten, but yet not cross to more noble good, 
For was it not far better for David to have such a legitimate heir as Solomon was than that a bastard should wear the crown and sway the scepter? Joseph, you know, was sold into a far country by the envy and malice of his brethren and afterwards imprisoned because he would not be a prisoner to his mistress's lusts. Yet all these providences did wonderfully conduce to his advancement and the preservation of his father's family, which was then the visible church of Christ. It was so handled by a noble hand of providence that what they sought to decline or injure they did promote. Joseph was therefore sold by his brethren that he might not be worshipped Yet, he was therefore worshipped because he was sold. David was designed to a kingdom, but oh the straits, troubles, and death that he runs through before he feels the weight of his crown. And all this was but in order to the sweetening of his crown and to the settling of it more firmly and gloriously upon his head. God did so contrive it that Jonah's offense and those cross-actings of his that did attend it should advantage that end which they seemed most directly to oppose. Jonah, he flies to Tarshish, then cast into the sea, then saved by a miracle. Then the mariners, as it is very probable, who cast Jonah into the sea, declared to the Ninevites what had happened. Therefore, he must be a man sent of God, and that his threatenings must be believed and hearkened to, and therefore they must repent and humble themselves that the wrath threatened might not be executed. Footnote The motions of divine providence are so dark, so deep, so changeable, that the wisest and noblest souls cannot tell what conclusions to make. End of footnote. Remedy 4 The fourth remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that all the strange, dark, deep, and changeable providences that believers meet with shall further them in their way to heaven, in their journey to happiness. Divine wisdom and love will so order all things here below that they shall work for the real, internal, and eternal good of them that love him. All the rugged providences that David met with did contribute to the bringing of him to the throne. And all the rugged providences that Daniel and the three children met with did contribute to their great advancement. So all the rugged providences that believers meet with, they shall all contribute to the lifting up of their souls above all things, below God. As the waters lifted up Noah's ark nearer heaven, and as all the stones that were about Stephen's ears did but knock him the closer to Christ, the cornerstone, so all the strange rugged providences that we meet with, they shall rise us nearer heaven and knock us nearer to Christ, that precious cornerstone. Footnote. Orosius, speaking of Valencian, saith, He that for Christ's name's sake had lost a tribuneship within a while after succeeded his persecutor in the empire. End of footnote. Device 4. By suggesting to them that their graces are not true, but counterfeit. Saith Satan, All is not gold that glitters. All is not free grace that you count grace that you call grace. That which you call faith is but a fancy, and that which you call zeal is but a natural heat and passion. And that light you have, it is but common, it is short, to what many have attained to that are now in hell. Satan doth 
not labor more mightily to persuade hypocrites that their graces are true when they are counterfeit than he doth to persuade precious souls that their graces are counterfeit when indeed they are true and such as will abide the touchstone of Christ. Footnote Yet it must be granted that many a fair flower may grow out of a stinking root and many sweet dispositions and fair actions may be where there is only the corrupt root of nature. End of footnote. Remedy 1 The first remedy against this device of Satan is seriously to consider that grace is taken two ways. One, it is taken for the gracious goodwill and favor of God, whereby he is pleased of his own free love to accept of some in Christ for his own. This some call the first grace, because it is the fountain of all other graces and the spring from whence they flow, and it is therefore called grace, because it makes a man gracious with God, but this is only in God. 2. Grace is taken for the gifts of grace, and they are of two sorts, common or special. Some are common to believers and hypocrites, as a gift of knowledge, a gift of prayer, etc. Some are special graces, and they are proper and peculiar to the saints, as faith, humility, meekness, love, patience, etc. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Remedy 2 The second remedy against this device of Satan is wisely to consider the differences between renewing grace and restraining grace, between sanctifying and temporary grace. And this I will show you in these ten particulars. 1. True grace makes all glorious within and without. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her raiment is of wrought gold. Psalm 45 verse 13 True grace makes the understanding glorious, the affections glorious. It casts a general glory upon all the noble parts of the soul. The king's daughter is all glorious within. And as it makes the inside glorious, so it makes the outside glorious. Her clothing is of wrought gold. It makes men look gloriously and speak gloriously and walk and act gloriously so that vain souls shall be forced to say that these are they that have seen Jesus. Footnote God brings not a pair of scales to weigh our graces but a touchstone to try our graces. Purity, preciousness and holiness is stamped upon all saving graces. Acts 15 verse 9 2 Peter chapter 4 verse 1 and Jude 20 End of footnote As grace is a fire to burn up and consume the dross and filth of the soul so it is an ornament to beautify and adorn the soul True grace makes all new the inside new and the outside new If any man be in Christ he is a new creature 2 Corinthians 5 17 Footnote The Greek signifies a new creation New Adam, new covenant, new paradise, new Lord, new law, new hearts, and new creatures go together. End of footnote. But temporary grace does not do this. True grace changes the very nature of a man. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. 
our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.